rather busy. Now he's going to move like right along to McGregor. That's his whole life. You know. So I generally feel like the second part of Dreamland is is better than the first part because yeah. they dialed back some of the things that I think you and I found objectionable about the first part. And it also had an actual plot as opposed to the first one, which is basically just like, look at this wacky thing that happened and let's put them in wacky situations. But it's still not great. Just because it has a plot doesn't necessarily mean that it has a point. And yeah, yeah, the, the, yeah. Uh, it's really funny because one of my notes was joking that, oh, this is a Voyager episode because in a way it kind of is a Voyager <laughs> episode where they deal with some weird anomaly, shit happens and then they reset it and to right before it even happens so nobody even knows it happened in the first place. And what did anybody learn? Why did we go through that experience? Why? How are we better for having spent two hours of our lives because remember this is a two-part episode still like like that that's that's i think what gets me the most about it it's a two-part episode again if this had been a one-part episode i think it would have been an amusing filler episode and yet now this is making it seem like a big thing i mean and it's pretty unusual for them to do a non a a two-part non-mythology as well right this is the first time they've ever done it and and I I I'm agree with you. I mean, I don't think that the running time is well served by this concept. I, I don't think they needed this to be a two-parter. I, I honestly don't know why it is. I mean, I have no idea if they just had so many funny jokes that they wanted to cram in and they just couldn't do it in 45 minutes. Um, but if so, they should really recheck their funny meter. <laughs> I Yeah, it's it's... It, it's very it's strangely flat i i don't know i mean literally anything what we learned of this because as you said it is like a star trek reset button where like literally the events of this episode did not happen well or did they right because the implication is that some things still stayed the same and some things stayed different so Morris Fletcher changes Malter's apartment. It's this funny joke that finally we see his bedroom and it's filled with boxes and porn and all kinds of stuff. And he makes it this like sexy room with a water bed. And you can just, you can just smell the desperation coming off the man, you know, the sort of like very calculated fall onto the bed and all that kind of stuff. The candles, you know, Mulder seems very confused by this and, and Scully finds the little, you know, coin that is still, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, combined into two but like yeah none of the stuff that they actually experience they don't remember any of it and i i mean did we really need to know that Mulder and scully like kind of like each other i that's like really the only thing you can get out of this or or maybe it's just that like area 51 is kind of a joke but neither of those are really interesting Obviously, the X-Files had to do an Area 51 episode, right? Like, you're doing a show with aliens in the 90s. This has to come up. Okay, fine. And, frankly, I really like the whole mole leak plot of this of these episodes that kicks it off, where somebody is f- feeding information to Mulder, and it turns out to be the general or whoever that's in charge of this whole thing, and that... When Mulder is finally thinking, all right, here I have a general at Area 51. This is a guy who knows something. That general is just as in the dark and reaching out for Mulder for some 
shred of hope that this can that Mulder's the guy who can make this make sense to him and that this conspiracy is so big and vast that even high-powered members don't even know a damn thing about what's going like I like that I think that's a pretty wry and interesting angle to take that on it's one that makes sense within the with within the show uh because, I mean, I think that's something I've said a couple of times, like, nobody has all of the pieces of this, nobody, and this is a much, a little more comedic take on that theme, but it is this theme I still like. Is that enough it, to hang two parts of an episode on? No, and especially because, as far as the treatment of that plot goes in the episode, that's kind of the MacGuffin to get into this whole Freaky Friday shenanigans. I mean, I I kind of agree with you, but I also kind of disagree with you because I don't think that this concept of of bureaucracies as not really knowing what they're doing is consistent with the X-Files. I mean, this is a show that is predicated on an all-knowing vast governmental conspiracy that has successfully kept the existence of extraterrestrial intelligent life from the world for 50 years so they they're at least somewhat competent i mean yeah it's a little bit of a joke about middle management i guess but you know the general being the middle management of of area 51 but it it's it's it doesn't really read as as part and parcel of the x-files mythos or the x-files sort of like raison d'etre i i don't i don't know and and things have changed in the x-files i mean obviously the move to LA has changed the visual look of the of the series, but it yes. is changing kind of some of the themes and the atmosphere of it. It is a much less paranoid show so far, and again, we've seen largely uh, comedic episodes. And I'm going to be really interested in talking about this season when the season is over. It's still a little too early to understand what the hell season six is, but. I I I I don't know if this show is doing the once as tragedy twice as farce thing because we are in straight up farce in this episode and I think the show is I mean this is the show parodying itself and I guess the question is I mean, I don't think Dreamland is a successful parody, uh, and, and we've certainly talked about some of the reasons that sh- that is so. It's frankly just not funny enough and not well done enough to be a successful parody, but uh, I like the show's instinct in parodying itself at this point, and I don't know. I'm not – I can see people getting offended at the show doing this. I can certainly see particularly the hardcore <laughs> fans yeah, at the time yeah. – Oh my god, I can see them getting pissed off at that instinct. Uh Well, I think I I think I mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago, I think maybe when we were wrapping up the 5th season or the movie that um it, it, there were quite a lot of people watching the show at this point that were yeah. very angry about the fact that it briefly turned into a comedy. And you know like cuz we had we had Triangle which was not exactly a funny episode but it was lighthearted and it was um not exactly a standard X-Files episode and then we have this two-parter and then we have how the ghost stole Christmas next yeah. week which is is also pretty funny um although I would I would argue that it is not a comedic episode in in some respects but we will talk about that episode in a minute I 
I don't know if certainly the X-Files is a show that can handle doing this sort of thing. The X-Files has poked fun at itself before without destroying the central yeah. conceit of its of its uh, you know of its story of its plot. It will continue to do that. Um but I just don't think that this is good enough for that. And I mean there's you know there's sort of like a facile criticism you can make which is like fun, not funny people shouldn't try and write comedy fair. Um <laughs> Or, or you can say, I don't know if a flabby two-parter is enough. You should trim it and really get like maybe a pretty good 45-minute yeah. episode out of it. Fair as well. I would, I would be interested in maybe seeing a fan edit of this two-parter um, as a one-parter to see if it actually worked better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of have timing. a feeling it did because there, there are a lot of like weird detours in this episode i think you could get rid of and and partly what is interesting about dreamland too is that they did get rid of some of this like the henpecked wife and the sort of like or not the henpecked husband with the domineering wife is is sort of away a little bit and you you get a little bit more of a humanity to to the character of morris fletcher's wife but it's not enough and i mean frankly I don't care about Morris Fletcher. And, and I think that's part of the issue with the episode. It, it it needs to, or this two-parter, it needs to give us a reason to care about Morris Fletcher. He's an asshole. He's not a nice guy. He has a job where he basically makes up lies and sells them to the public. Why is he like this? And you go, oh, well, he's sad because he's never amounted to much and he's got a lot of debt. And it's like, well, who cares? I yeah. I guess that's what it really comes down to is like altogether it's just not selling this very well. He's a he's a sad he's a sad white straight guy and I don't really care that much. I Yeah. And, it, you know, we we mentioned small potatoes last week, but I think that is Small Potatoes really hurts this episode because they hit a lot of the same themes about a character who is living a sad-nothing life who thinks that Mulder has it all and who, when they're literally in Mulder's shoes, realizes that, oh my god, this is this guy is an even bigger loser than me, and if I had all of the resources and tools that this guy had, oh my god, what I would make of it. And here we... Ha- and then that character begins to make the most of those and the characters around them, particularly Scully, find it weird. Like, Small Potatoes was a much better execution of that theme. And we didn't need to see it again shittier. I mean, that, that and I'm worried that that's where, because that was some of my issues with the movie, that this, these are a lot of the same notes that we've heard over and over again, except maybe not quite as effectively, or maybe a little flashier, but without the underpinnings of it because when the you know the x-files did plenty of comedy particularly when darren morgan is writing but that comedy does have a they use it for a more tragic or melancholy or sad or or, or disturbing effect um uh, clyde bruckman being a perfect example of that he's a hilarious character and all of his you know, jokes and down to earthness is is barely masking a a a, a sense of inevitability and faith and extraordinary depression and death wish, and none of that 
has a there is none of that weight in dreamland uh no i mean this this is an episode that has no weight i think by design though right i mean i i, I don't i don't think that we're supposed to to really take the events of any of these people seriously yeah. and, and and even to the fact of i don't know if we're really supposed to take these people seriously i, I don't know if we're really supposed to take morris fletcher seriously as a person it's it's sitcom logic in a show which isn't a sitcom and i I mean, well, I guess what, what really, well, what really gulls me about it, and what I keep coming back to is the fact that no one remembers this happened. Like, wh- yeah, what was the reason for watching this? Now, if this was a brilliantly executed two-parter, I wouldn't mind as much because the yeah. reason it exists is that it's a brilliantly executed two-parter of a show that I adore. But this isn't. It's got some problems and. They're not severe problems. I think this is watchable, and I think it's likable, and I think that, at least to some degree, Mulder and Scully, especially in the second uh, episode, power this very well in Dreamland 2. But at the end of the day, you're just left with this feeling of, like, what what was this for? And if, if if the answer was Scully is open to fucking Mulder, and now Mulder has a nice apartment, I'm not sure that that's enough. And and I think that was something we've known already, too. Is this just more of that bullshit shipping? I don't know. But, like I'll say right out, I didn't really, you know, Ghosts of Christmas was not my favorite episode, but it's still fun to watch Ed Asner and Lily Tomlin just on screen doing anything. And poor Michael McKean doesn't do it this time. Like he he he, he, he yeah. is not the 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 I can't even say that. Well, at least we got a fun guest star performance because you know, there have been times where it's just okay. That was a fun guest star performance. The uh, the Lily Taylor episode, for example, not yeah. my favorite episode, but she was really good in it, and she, it was just cool to watch her go. I can't say that's the case here. Yeah, I just, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. Michael McKean does a fine job, but I just don't yeah. think that he's given much to work with, which which is a problem. You know, the the jokes aren't funny, and I, I don't think that, that many comedians can or many actors can make jokes land that aren't funny. And and it, it just strikes me as, again, like, once again, this episode is really about Morris Fletcher, but, but I don't like this guy. And he doesn't get his comeuppance, which I think is worse. Like you need him to fail. You need him or, to get his comeuppance. And, and he doesn't. We need him to either get his comeuppance or get redemption. And neither right. works. But, right. but they're, but, but the, they're trying to give him a redemption arc that just makes no sense. So one of the things that I had said last week was, I don't really understand what his motivations are. And I'd made some guesses and here, he basically does say to Skelly at one point, gee, like, my job sucks over there. My life sucks over there. It's so easy here. All I have to do is suck up to Kirsch a little bit and go on a couple of really nothing assignments. And I've got it a great apartment. I'm a good-looking guy. I can do whatever I want. Like, I, I get – my job is so easy I get to play golf games at work all day. Like, he, he – and okay, that makes sense. I buy that. But – See, this episode hinges on the end, him deciding to reconcile with his wife. And 
which he only seemingly does because it's the end of the episode. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, 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 there's a Looney Tunes episode I keep thinking of where it's Sam the Sheepdog and Wiley e. Coyote, and Wiley e. Coyote's trying to steal the sheep, and at the very end of the episode, like, that, 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 Suddenly, like, a whistle rings, and the two of them just, like, punch their time cards, and they're like, well, you know, we still going bowling this weekend, oh, have a good night, you know, and it's just, like, because the episode's over, and they just need to go home, like, the episode's over, he needs to reconcile with his wife, we all go home, the end, like, that, that but, for but no the, reason. But the thing is, he doesn't need to reconcile with his wife, which I think is the more egregious problem with it, because, again, it wouldn't matter if he reconciled with her or not, because at the end of this episode, the entire events of the two-parter are wiped out. And, like, I guess it's kind of satisfying on a level of, well, we are watching this happen, even if the characters don't remember it happened. And so we need him to – we need to get some warm and fuzzy feelings for Morris Fletcher – but yeah. but do we? And frankly, Even, like maybe his wife would be better off without him. I think that's the other part of the episode that that troubles me because, you know, I said earlier that that I think the the second part of this does a better job of grounding her as a real person and not a caricature of a shrewish wife. But but it's still not enough. Yeah, like the 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 the, the part that got to me, you know, in one of my notes. So. At one point, they think that this transformation is permanent, and they're acting like, oh, my God, this is the worst thing ever to happen. Well, let's let's look at where everybody is. So Morris Fletcher is working for the FBI. He is going to have a great golden career as Kirsch's right hand now, and he's going to do whatever. Okay, Mulder is stuck in Michael McKean's body. It's not the worst body in the entire world, like... And, frankly, none of the government people who want uh, Mulder dead know who he is anymore. He he has an additional, like, layer of, like, stealth on him. Scully isn't really doing – Scully isn't working for the FBI. She can do whatever he wants. She and Mulder can do their, like, new X-Files thing, and it'll be fine. Like, 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 they're doing okay. And and even on – in in the case of Mrs. Fletcher – well, his friend is seen comforting her at the bar. Like, the implication that they got is the two of them are getting friendly. And, like, they're all going to be okay. And now now with time reversed, even though Morris Fletcher apologized to his wife and decided to reconcile, now things have gotten reversed to before this happened, when he was distant, when he was an asshole, when she was unhappy, when they weren't sleeping together. Like, yeah, none of this happened. If at least... Even if they, I, I thought that they were going to find a way to get them to switch back. Certainly, because you know, come on, this is a TV show that has to happen. But I figured they'd at least co- keep the continuity. Learned a couple things about that. If this experience made Morris Fletcher change his mind somehow, then okay, let's keep that. He becomes a better yeah. person from this experience. Great. I don't know that there's 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 much to say about it, but but I think that that the final thing really is is this concept of. Mulder and Scully once again kind of getting together. And of course, it's Morris Fletcher. It's not Mulder. And I think we've said already a little bit about the shipping aspects of this. But this is something the show keeps doing. And it does it a little bit in How the Ghost Stole Christmas. Like, And this is a major shift. And I think we're ready to talk about it because it's not a one-off at this point. Like the show... It, it's very weird. Like the show stayed away from doing anything like this of... Yeah. of 
throwing a sob to the shippers like at all for a long time. And then it was like they flipped a switch. And now like in every single episode, there's something that they're throwing a sob to the shippers. And and I don't understand why, but I also don't know if I like or dislike it. Well, I mean, this is a cliche in a lot of shows that when you have the will they or won't they, you stretch that as long as you can. But at some point, eventually the dam bursts and you need to do something about it. And it's generally agreed that, yes, and then when they finally get together, uh, the tension goes out of the show and it becomes less. I mean, that you know, Moonlighting is kind of the classic example of that happening, that a show that thrives on the tension and then when they do get together is almost immediately canceled. And it kind of feels li- like... I know we still have another six, seven, eight, nine, ten, like five, four, five seasons left. Five seasons, and that be, without even counting the second movie in the revival series, but uh, well, no, that's counting the revival series. Okay. There's, there's, there's three. If you're not counting this season, there's, yeah, there's yeah, three yeah, seasons originally. left in the original. There's three seasons left of the show, essentially, and it seems early to be in desperation mode. You know, knowing that, but this makes me worry that. The show is going to be in desperation mode for a while because obviously they're doing the teasing thing to stretch that out as much as possible. Oh, God, you're giving me, you know, fun looks. But the point is Mulder and Scully are going to full on get together at some point and it's going to be bad. And I guess that's when Duchovny leaves. Yeah, I mean, I I will leave it as an exercise for you to determine um, when the X Files legit becomes a bad show, and I I I don't know. I I don't think it ever becomes a bad show. It just kind of becomes a boring show for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. But the other the other part of that is is that the X Files is very difficult to look at as a cohesive whole. I mean, yeah, this is by def this is like the definition of a show that is more than the sum of its parts. And yes, you, I think, are starting to see some of the cracks in the foundation. You know, this has been a wildly inventive, brilliantly written and acted and produced show for a long time. They have been doing a lot of very strange things that had never been done on television before or, or had only been done in, in yeah. very small contexts. And and yeah, I mean... It it is like kind of this almost feels like the extinction, uh, you know, the extinction gasp. Like we've got Triangle, we've got this, we've got How the Ghost Stole Christmas, like all in rapid succession. The the show seems maybe even a little bit bored of itself, and yeah. w- we're gonna have to see where that goes. But it it is it is interesting that that you're noticing that because I I don't know that. I don't know that a lot of people do notice that in the sixth season, and the sixth season I, I think is still really a, is, is is still a really strong season as well. I'm, you know, one of the things that I had in the back of my mind uh, because we're seeing a sea change in culture at this time too. One of the things I kept thinking while watching the movie was, you know. Next year, the fucking Matrix is going to come out and make this movie look like a joke. And post-Matrix, cyberpunk is going to be a lot more interesting. That kind of, you know, internet themes are going to be... We are going to shift from aliens as being something we're interested in. And 
aliens are not going to be cool anymore in a couple of years. And so we are seeing a show that is starting to become uncool, I think. I mean, the stuff like the style in Triangle, for example, is still cool. I think there is still cool to be mined from the show, but not as much as it was in season four when it was at the height of itself and it was exactly where pop culture was. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's, I mean, that is partially, I would say, a major factor in the downfall of the X-Files if it is to have a downfall in that way. I think that's a good place to leave Dreamland too. Although I will say one other thing about it, and I, I think everything you just said is right on. Um, little alien. It's just you I know. know. I loved that set. They're not funny. <laughs> but when they, when I, I'm a I'm a sucker for a bad pun, and and that's that's one of the worst. And I I kind of love it. And yeah, that that entire set. I don't know if I who knows if that existed or not. I have well, no idea. But. You know they have all of this kitschy – the prop department has all of this kitschy UFO shit that, like, everybody on staff, people buy them, like, weird crap for Christmas and stuff because, haha, you work on the X-Files, and this was finally their moment to show all of it off. Like, it, it, it I, a lot of times I've said that, like, you know, the X-Files, you know, the episode, whatever, but the prop department really did it the fuck up. Again, grotesque yeah. is – kind of that classic episode of they worked overtime while no one else did and they, they well, and still did well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think also um, the only scene that really strikes me as, as funny from top to bottom is the scene with the lone gunman. And, and yeah. that's the only scene that really works. And I think it works because it's grounded in reality. It's like, hey, what do the lone gunmen do when they're not writing their newsletter? Well, they're all sitting around eating huevos rancheros. And you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And, you know, Scully gets a chance to be a little funny and, and Morris Fletcher gets a chance to be a little funny in a way that is yeah. actually using Michael McKean's talents well. Um, so they can write funny. I just wanted to I mention love, that. I love the implication. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I love that the uh, lone gunmen all live together. I imagine that they have like three twin beds all in the row with like their name written on it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that what everybody wants? You just want a place to live. That's why the gold. That's why the Golden Girls are such a such a warm show. Yeah. No, no, I, 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 I really like the Lone Gunman, and I did not at first, and I'm glad that they clicked because I, I, I again didn't get them at first, but they figured them out. Good. All right. Well, let's move on to how the ghost stole Christmas. But before we do that. It is time to remind you or let you know, if you don't know this, if you've just found this podcast today, um, which just happens to be our 100th episode, by the way. What? Oh, my God. What 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 a 100th episode. It certainly is. If you want to reward us for being here for 100 episodes, we have covered all kinds of shows. Firefly, the United States of Terra. In the Flesh, The X-Files. We've got another one coming up at the end of the sixth season when we take another break from The X-Files. But we're not going to tell you what it is yet. Just know that it's coming. Please go to patreon.com slash truckaboutshow and give now. Your support is very much appreciated and needed. All right, let's talk about how the ghost stole Christmas. I don't know how to talk about this episode. I will just be straight up with that. Like... It's super weird, and I don't know how to yeah. read it. Yeah, it, 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 it's. 
I don't know that this is an episode that is greater than the sum of its parts. Like, it's, it's a couple of different things. It is Chris Carter just putting every haunted house cliche he can think of in a bag. It is Ed Asner and Lily Tomlin using psychobabble to fuck with our characters. It is an examination of the flaws and foibles and a deconstruction of these personalities. And it is a show about two friends who have Christmas together. And, and, and it's it's all of those things and all of those threads are well. I don't know if they all add up to a coherent whole. I'm also not sure if it matters I, in a way I, because I don't know. I don't think it matters. I mean, I, I really like this episode. I, I, I oh, think yeah. that it is it is not I – mean, I don't know that I would call hell. it a great episode, but there are a lot of things about it that I really like. Really what it comes down to for me is that that The X-Files at its core is a show about Mulder and Scully. It is a show about their relationship in as much as it is about anything. And part of why I think the show has been leaning more towards throwing bones to the shippers is because they're realizing that that's really the core of the show, this relationship, and and how would a relationship like that grow and change over the years? I mean, let's be honest, Mulder and Scully uh, are played by, you know, two very attractive actors, um, and, and they're both single, and they both spend a lot of time with each other, and they're both very intimately connected with each other emotionally, and so it kind of makes sense that perhaps at some point it would, it would spill over into um, actual physical intimacy, but it hasn't yet. But really, I look at this episode and I say, okay, well, in the context of a Christmas episode, what, why is this a Christmas episode, number one? And I think it's a Christmas episode because, well, emotions are heightened at Christmas. People feel lonely at Christmas. Um, people are happy at Christmas. There's, there's a lot of cultural, emotional, social expectations, baggage yeah. surrounding the holiday of Christmas. And I also think that this episode can be viewed as a microcosm of the X-Files, as as an examination of the core of the show, not what makes it work, not what makes it tick, not what um, you know what what the important themes of the show are, but just what is this show? And again, I I don't know if it completely works, but I think if you I mean, if, if you like the X Files, I think you pretty much have to at least get something out of this episode. Yeah, and, and in a way. It is an episode which mirrors the Christmas theme. Like, the Christmas theme, in a way, is about spending time with your loved ones and the people who are important to you, and you're not alone on Christmas kind of a thing, and that is where the two characters go in this. I mean, it, it, it's it's funny considering that last year was uh, Christmas Carol and Emily was the Christmas episode. Yeah, yeah. And... That, again, was another episode about – which did pick up on some Christmas themes. It is about, you know, recognizing what one – has one lost and what's important to – and, again, all of those kind of a thing. But, I mean, tonally, the two could be – could not be further apart. And, I mean, I like that – you know, this episode is written and directed by Chris Carter, who normally shits the bed when it comes to – non-mythology episodes and he also wrote wrote and directed triangle as well so 
yeah, but one thing that, and again, maybe that has to do with the overall shape of it being a little, you know, fucked up, but he, Carter knows his characters intimately, and again, all of the, the, you know, all of their psychology stuff works in this episode because this is a really apt insight into these characters. These are the things that the characters fear, and I think it is necessary. Certainly, we have had episodes like Bad Blood have touched upon the characters recognizing these flaws in each other. Never again is an episode with deals with these characters recognizing these flaws, but I don't think we've seen them admit to their own flaws and cop to them and apologize about that. I mean, Scully, Scully, Mulder has talked about how Scully shoots him down all the time, but this is her saying, like, gee, I don't want to be that to you, and Mulder has been the selfish, narcissistic asshole, and this is him recognizing that, like, no, I I do this, this is not cool of me, and Christmas is a fine backdrop for them to recognize this and get beyond that. Well, yeah, uh, for sure, but I but I also think that there is a little bit of there's a realization in this episode that that Mulder and Scully's relationship is very complicated as as all relationships yeah. that have gone on for a long time are complicated. And I I think the key to understanding this episode is the one line where I believe it's the the Maurice Ed Asner ghost who who uses the phrase intimacy through codependency. And yeah. and I think that's really apt. I, I think that Chris Carter. I mean, obviously, Maurice and Lida are not characters. Like they are mouthpieces for yeah. Chris Carter to get across the ideas about what he thinks his own show is. And and do you, I mean, you know, are, are, how, how much tolerance do you have for that sort of thing? Is is going to you know kind yeah. of decide how much you like this episode or not? Uh, I apparently have a high tolerance for that sort of thing. But because but, the actors pull it off, it's a hard thing to pull off. But yeah, they're really good at. Well, yeah, they're I really mean, good at making Lily, it cool. Yeah, it's fucking Lily Tomlin yeah. and, and Ed Asner. Of course, they're going to pull it off. But I, I do think that that the intimacy co- through codependency thing is is really apt here mm. because you know that is something that we have talked about in the past, and that is something where Mulder Mulder doesn't really care that scully takes care of him and scully takes care of him too much i mean in a certain sense they do have a codependent relationship and someone like kirsch even mentioned that in a couple episodes ago where he said you know you apologize for him a lot and that is true scully does apologize for Mulder a lot scully does cover uh, uh his ass for him a lot and and Mulder doesn't really do that for her. I mean, certainly Mulder will show up when she's in the hospital, and Mulder will do certain things for her. But I'm not saying it's a it's a completely codependent relationship. But I I think that's part of it. And and it, it, it's almost like they're saying that that's okay. Um, but I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I always get to this point with the X Files where I wonder how much, once again, the show is interested in critically engaging with the idea that Scully is is kind of not treated very well. And I don't know. I don't know. It, it it's interesting that this episode lays it out. I think so so bald facedly. Yeah, I, I, I due to the nature of the relationship, there is going to be a lot of that, and I would assume most. Uh, partners in law enforcement do end up having i mean that every cop show that features 
two partners ha- goes into that kind of th- thing about the relationship between the two of them and that sure. kind of weird closeness and intimacy. And I would assume in, in many cases you end up covering for your partner a lot. And yeah. frankly, Scully needs to cover for Mulder more often than Mulder needs to cover for Scully just because he is the person who will go off half-cocked more than she will. And uh, again, episodes like Never Again is a rare moment of her going off half-cocked. Um, yeah, I mean, this this episode starts out with Mulder half-cocked. He essentially lures her into the house by stealing her car keys. And... <laughs> Well, that's that's ambiguous as to whether he steals them or the ghost steals them or whatever. I mean, we never really do get that answer. But Mulder stole them, but I I, I don't know. I, I mean, yes, but but at the same time, like there is a there is a case where Scully tries to keep Mulder at arm's length, perhaps unnecessarily. Sometimes, I mean, my favorite little detail about this episode, and I can never tell if it's intentional or not. Although it's the X Files, so it probably is is at the very beginning of the episode when they're both sitting in their respective cars and Mulder is trying to convince her to go into the haunted house with him. Scully says something to the effect of, come on, it's late. I have to get up at six o'clock and I have all these presents I have to wrap. And it, it either pans over or, or the next shot <laughs> is is of wrapped presents in her back seat. And you're like, she yeah. <laughs> doesn't have to wrap anything. They're all wrapped. So she doesn't, the thing is like, she doesn't want to tell Mulder no. And and that is how this episode starts. Scully never wants to tell Mulder no. Uh, yeah. And that, I think, is really interesting. And, but, but I think the episode does suggest a bit of ambivalence on her part because I think there, she does say at one point, like, oh, if it's any other night, I would be game for it. And I believe that. Like, I, 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 I think most of the time she is willing to humor it because, well... The worst case that happens is Mulder and I hang out for a couple hours and nothing happens and we do a stakeout that was stupid. Like, whatever. whatever you know, I got paid for it. I'm an FBI agent. Yeah. Tonight, you know, tonight I have so much shit to do. It's Christmas Eve. I just want to be home. I have to steal myself for dealing with family tomorrow. Again, there there is the end. The recognition that, yes, maybe exploring a haunted house is a lot more fun than staying home and wrapping presents, but... Well, I mean, it certainly is for Mulder. I, I don't, I don't think yeah. that it necessarily is for Scully, but, but I also don't know how. I also, I don't know how we're supposed to read the fact that. I mean, we have to talk about the ghosts at some point um, more because they're they're played by Lily Tomlin and Ed Asner, yeah. not because the ghosts are inherently interesting. Uh, because I actually don't think the concept of the ghosts are all that interesting. I mean, they're you know a pair of ghosts that kill themselves and. They lure people to their deaths. Yeah. Okay, fine. That's that's you know whatever. But uh, the, the episode is trading in cliches and it uses them knowingly and wryly and all of that. But it they're they're you're right. Their story is a cliche. It is haunted house couple one hundred and one. I mean they they mentioned being you know in the haunted house literature at one point and that this is boilerplate ghost story yeah i mean there there certainly is an element to to all of the best x files which is very self-aware and and this episode yeah. is, is no uh no exception but i i don't know what we're supposed to make of the fact that Mulder and scully get lured into this situation and i also don't know what we're supposed to make of the fact that they they shoot each other or at least the ghosts make them think they're shooting each other yeah. you know it, it is it's the weakest part of the episode i I don't know yeah. if you're supposed to read into that, and I'm being very honest with this because I, I don't know um, that 
the 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 strength of their belief in each other is strong enough to overcome the power of the ghost's powers of suggestion i mean am i reading too much into that no i i think that's what it was intended to be the ghosts are saying listen they're gonna shoot you this is how this always goes and a less trusting couple would have fallen into that trap they see that they have a gunshot wound maybe they're even projecting pain onto them or whatever and so they're going to shoot the other in self-defense but neither is willing to cross that line and their realization again their realization that wait i would never do that you would never shoot me that wouldn't happen uh the only reason that that would happen is if we're being super mind controlled, which has happened in the series. Yeah. But the only reason that that would happen is because we're being mind controlled. They wouldn't. We wouldn't do that normally. Our relationship would never get to that point. And it, it, it in an interesting way, you're right. Like that makes me think that that's an interesting uh, uh, callback to, to Ice, where Mulder and Scully are are mm. fearing that they're under the effect of of that uh, parasite, and you know Scully pulls her gun on Mulder at one point. And that's still very early in their relationship. And, you know, sort of thinking back to that episode, it, it almost feels like it comes from a completely different show, uh, yeah. which, which in some senses it did. But that has been a consistent thing throughout their career, throughout their relationship, is that they they do trust each other, partly because at least initially they're FBI agents and you have to trust your partner. I remember us talking about that, you know, a year ago when we first started um, doing these X-Files podcasts. But... The other the other part of it is that this is why this episode, you know, five and a half seasons later is so much more resonant in terms of their emotional connection to each other because they've had the five seasons to build that. Yeah. And they do care about each other on a level that isn't partners, you know, law enforcement partners. They are spending Christmas Eve with each other, and, and that is not by Scully's wish or Scully's design, but but they're still doing it. Yeah, and at the end, of course, the desire yeah, Scully does actively decide to spend Christmas Eve with Mulder, or at least the right or the remaining hours of Christmas Eve with him. Uh, obviously, in a much more comfortable situation than they did the earlier part of the evening, but you know that that sense of this is the true family and all of that is there. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I think there's always been that sense throughout the show that that Mulder and Scully are the only the the only people that they can rely on, and. Everyone else is going to disappoint you at some point, but but Mulder is always going to go through fire for Scully, and Scully's always going to go through yeah. fire for Molly, for Molly, for Mulder. Uh, but I, I mean, let well, let's talk about the ghosts then, because I, I do want to engage with them a little bit. I, I, I mean, yes, they're very good, and yes, Ed Asner and Lily Tomlin are great actors, and they're very comedic, and they they're funny, and they 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 make the episode very entertaining, and those monologues are fun to watch. Um, I mean, I always think about Scully's joke to, or I always think about Scully's trying to interrogate uh, Lily Tomlin's ghost, Lida, about why she doesn't have a Christmas tree. And she's like, well, we're Jewish. You know? <laughs> like, and and it, it's just great because these characters could have so easily been played as over the top caricatures. And yeah, they're not like you really get the. You really get the the core of them, and you believe that they were once actual people. 
they know the exact right level of ham to do. Yes. A, a little bit more and it would have failed. A little bit less and it wouldn't have been watchable. Like, But they, they, they hit a very specific note. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, it's no surprise. Lily Tomlin and Ed Asner, wow, they're great. You know? yeah. But, but it and is... they work really well together as well. I buy them as a couple. I think I like the, and I mean that that's kind of the through line with them as well. That they are a bickering old couple who's seen it all before, and they're a little annoyed. And yes, the romance has faded, but at the end of the day. They are still spending Christmas together, and you know we do really know the true meaning of Christmas. I mean, that's it's it's a dumb it's a dumb joke, but it is a sweet line in its way as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, and I also think I like I do like the concept of, of them as sort of just like fucking with these people. I mean, I I, yeah. I, I, I it's not exactly a different spin on a ghost story because this is nothing that we haven't seen before. But it, it is. I mean, it, especially coming off the heels of of the Dreamland two parter, which was comedy that didn't work. It's nice to see comedy that. That does work. And again, I don't consider this to be a fully comedic episode because no. it does have a lot of like emotional core to it. But at the but same time, this is funny and there are a lot of jokes in it that do land. And yeah, I, I mean, that's the, uh, what I was saying about Dreamland. Like the comedy doesn't add to anything. The X-Files works best when its comedy is used to underpin something. And here the comedy is used to underpinning some that these two characters understandings of their own flaws and their worries that these flaws have harmed their relationship with each other. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I said, I didn't really buy, uh, dreamlands attempt at trying to get rich, trying to get redemption at the end, but I very much buy Mulder and Scully recognizing that they need maybe a little bit of redemption for some of the, Wrong, some of the way they've treated each other and yeah, yeah. their strength of the relationship is such that they immediately give it and they recognize it and that they quickly move past this. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, you could very easily see that, that, that you know, Mulder, like Scully would not want to spend any time at all with Mulder and at the end of this episode. Yeah. And and she doesn't. I mean, she can't sleep. And where does she go? She goes to Mulder's. I, I like that. I mean... Yeah. At at the end of it, I think that what this episode really is more than anything else is it's almost like the the X Files equivalent of a warm bath, where you know it's yeah. not it's not exactly a challenging episode, and I don't even think that the themes are that profound, but but no. it's just very well executed and in in a I way mean, it's a Christmas episode. Yeah, it's know? a Christmas episode. I mean, <laughs> it does it does traffic in a lot of those little warm fuzzy feelings. You know, it does traffic in a lot of the the tropes and clichés yeah. of of Christmas stories. And yeah, the X-Files has never done a traditional Christmas story. I I don't believe the X-Files I don't believe the X-Files ever does a, a a traditional Christmas story. But but I think Chris Carter understands yeah. what makes Christmas episodes christmas specials christmas movies meaningful to people and 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 really understanding them because it's about the emotionality of them yeah and it doesn't feel cheesy it's an episode that has some very strong tenderness and stuff but that is earned this is a season one episode would have felt saccharine this is a season six episode I mean, this more than all of the, well, we almost kiss or I kiss a version of you in the past or, you know, I'm possessive. This 
is a strong moment of connection between these two characters that feels earned and that works and that is lovely and wonderful. And it, it doesn't feel like simply throwing a bone to the fans on the internet. It feels like a moment that is earned for these characters. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that. We never see what the two get each other, but Scully does buy Mulder a rectangular box of something, so she bought him porn, right? Like, that's... <laughs> well, maybe. I don't know. I never thought about <laughs> it, but... It has to be a Girls Gone Wild tape or something like that. Oh, wow. I haven't thought about Girls Gone Wild in about 20 years. No, no. Why would – I'm surprised you thought about it much even at the time. I mean – I mean it existed. I guess guess the existence of Girls Gone Wild. Not necessarily that I I thought about the actual girls in Girls Gone Wild. I didn't because I I am extraordinarily gay. A softcore porn tape. VHS tape was advertised on like TV all the time. Like that 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 alone is such a 90s thing. Like that that doesn't that's not a thing anymore. No it is not. So what do you think Mulder got Scully then? Well, it it is a long cylindrical box, so I'm not really going it, it, it seems a little crass to speculate, but you you think he got her a dildo? That's what you're saying? It, it's it's a very intimate moment in the relationship for an intimate Christmas. Maybe a very fancy tampon holder. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Um, a lovely pen for her to write her diary in. That is the classy kind of answer that our listeners have come to expect from you, Richard. And that Thank is the you. classy kind of comment that you have gotten from us for 100 episodes of Tuning In. So... If you have any thoughts on Dreamland 2, How the Ghost Stole Christmas, or our 100th episode, please go to tuninginshow.com and leave us a comment. As I said earlier, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash trekaboutshow. It also supports our other podcast, Trekabout. We are talking about Star Trek Voyager Season 5 still, but we are almost at the end this week, I think we talked about the fight and think tank. I don't think that. I know we did because I did it two days ago. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We did it. We did it. That is true. It wasn't all just me. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We are there. Tuning in show is our username in all those places. And as always, you can leave us a review. You can leave us a, a star rating or a review. It doesn't have to be a rating. If 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 you don't want to or a review, if you don't want to leave us a review, if you don't feel like you have anything to contribute, it's very intimidating to, to fill out that little text box. Just give us a rating. We'll we'll still appreciate it. All right, next week, I'm ready. We're going to be talking about terms of endearment and the Rain King. This is Mac. Why do you?